When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Warm welcome to First Move. I'm Zane Asher and my colleague, Julia Chatley, so good to have you with us. Just ahead on the show, Eye in the Sky, the Pentagon tracking a suspected Chinese spy balloon flying across the United States. Certainly unusual and uh, very highly sensitive development in the tense U.S.-China relationship. All of this ahead of U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's trip to Beijing. We'll have the latest in just a moment. Plus, called to account, reports say that Gotham Adani will sign off on a big four accounting firm audit of his empire. All of this coming after another volatile day of trade for Adani shares. The latest on the Indian conglomerate's stock market meltdown just ahead. But first, it is another Jobs Friday in America in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. jobs report is out. With a quick look at how American jobs market is doing in the new year. And we have a blockbuster number. Boy, oh boy. Certainly much greater than expected. 517,000 jobs added to the economy uh, last month. Analysts were actually expecting half of that. They were expecting uh, just under 200,000 jobs added. So this is a massive surprise. Today's number certainly represents the best month for jobs growth since last July. The U.S. unemployment rate easing as well to 3.4 percent and wage growth ticking higher too. The big question what does all this great news for workers mean for the Fed and its fight to bring down uh, inflation? U.S. futures had been trading lower all of this morning and they are still looking, let's see here, a bit soft. Uh, Europe trading mixed tech stocks set to pull back after a disappointing set of earnings from three big cap heavyweights, shares of Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, all of those guys uh, falling pre-market trading. But tech still up strongly on the week. We'll break it down for you later on in the show. But first, uh, new developments on the suspected Chinese spy balloon flying over the northern United States right now. China now says the balloon was used for research. Oren Liebman is live for us at the Pentagon with the very latest. So Oren, just walk us through A, what, what the U.S. thinks the Chinese were looking for in terms of surveillance here, and B, what are Biden's options right now in terms of possibly shooting it down. I know that it's off the table. Are there any other military options on the table? Well, that hasn't been taken off the table entirely. The Pentagon has just said they're not going to shoot this down right now because of a threat to what's below it, potentially facilities and people. But that option does remain possible depending on the risk they view from what they see as a Chinese spy satellite, not, as the Chinese just said, a Chinese weather balloon. Now, the Pentagon has acknowledged that it traveled over several sensitive sites, and they have said it's over Montana. Now, they haven't specified what those sites are, but we know that Montana houses some of the U.S.'s ballistic missile fields. So perhaps that's the sensitive site that this balloon was traveling over. It came over from Canada and is now drifting, or at least was drifting, over Montana. We're waiting to see if they give an update on where this is now. The Pentagon has been tracking this for several days. The decision was made by President Joe Biden with the recommendations of top military leaders not to shoot it down at this time. But again, that remains a possibility as the Pentagon keeps on tracking this. We just learned from a U.S. official that there have been previous instances of this over Hawaii and Guam sometime in previous years. 
years. Yesterday, the Pentagon said that this had happened before, including in the previous administration, and the administration views this very seriously, especially ahead of a planned trip by Secretary of State Antony Blinken to China, with tensions already high between Beijing and Washington. So does the Pentagon buy the explanation, does the U.S. buy the explanation, that it's a weather balloon? We'll get a sense of that today and find out if the thinking has shifted at all on whether to shoot this thing out of the sky. Zane. Aaron Liebman live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, this comes certainly at a sensitive moment as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken plans to visit uh, Beijing in the next few days. China uh, says the balloon is used for research, as you just heard Oren Liebman talking about just there. Let's bring in Mark Stewart live for us in Hong Kong. So, Mark, just walk us through what the Chinese have said about this, because they've been very cautious from the start really not to uh, come out and fully claim responsibility. Right, Zane. Within the last hour or so, we got some notification from Beijing that perhaps this balloon was not part of a nefarious intent, if you will. Uh, Again, the the validity of these claims that this was for scientific research still needs to be ironed out, especially from Pentagon officials, which I know something Oren is keeping a watch on. But it is interesting if we go back in time and look at the language that we received from the Chinese government relating this incident from the beginning, uh, very guarded, very diplomatic tones uh, were used in a statement from the from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs saying that China is a responsible country, that it operates in accord with international law and hopes that this matter will be dealt with in a cool headed way. Now, again, we still need to know what the response is from Washington, but this does illustrate just how tense relationships have been between the two nations. And as you mentioned, uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is expected to be headed to the region. We will have to see how much prominence this will play in the discussions, if at all, Zane. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question, because you've got Secretary of State Blinken, as you point out, going to China. It is certainly a time of raised tensions. There's a lot of tension right now between the U.S. and China. How does Blinken handle this? Well, I was talking to an analyst about this trip as a whole, and he pointed out two interesting points. One, he feels that everything is on the table. So if this is a matter that Secretary Blinken thinks raises to prominence of discussion, then likely he will. But there are so many issues that he will have to confront, especially with with Chinese leadership. I mean, we have this case, but we also have the buildup of U.S. forces in the Philippines. We have the question of Taiwan. We have trade. We have microchips. The list goes on and on. The key really here is for Blinken to establish some kind of feeling of diplomacy where if there is some heightened event, such as with this balloon, that he will have a counterpart with whom he can pick up the phone and have an immediate discussion to eliminate some kind of scramble or potential misunderstanding as this case may, and I stress may, turn out to be Zane. All right. Mark Stewart, life for us there. Thank you so much. All right, let's dive further into that whopping U.S. jobs report. 517,000 jobs added, as I mentioned at the top of the show, added in January. Completely blowing past all expectations, by the way. It's really double what people had been expected. All of this coming, of course, as the Fed, Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates and try to cool the economy. Matt Egan joins us live now. Uh, so, Matt, something tells me that this is not what the, the Fed had in mind. It's not what anyone was expecting 517,000 jobs added. Break it down for us. 
Yazine, this is a remarkably positive, remarkably strong jobs report, and it really does give another boost to the soft landing camp because there's nothing about this report that looks like a recession. This looks like a boom. As you mentioned, 517,000 jobs added. That is more than twice the expectation, best in nearly a year, 100,000 jobs better than the average last year. You know, and despite this almost unprecedented war on inflation by the Federal Reserve, the unemployment rate going down. This is a new post-COVID low. You have to go all the way back to 1969 to get an unemployment rate like this. And really, the strength in the jobs market was basically across the board. I mean, leisure and hospitality added 128,000 jobs. Uh, Those are restaurants, uh, hotels, professional business services added over 80,000. Everywhere almost added jobs, government, healthcare, retail, construction, manufacturing. The only sectors that were negative were utilities slightly and uh, tech. And that was only slightly negative. So really impressive across the board. And Zane, I think one of the keys here, though, is the fact that hiring continued. Hiring actually accelerated, but wages didn't. Wages cooled off um, as expected. And I think that is encouraging because that does sort of give hope to the idea that maybe this jobs market could continue going without having uh, it pressure inflation. And, and that's good because it could take some of the pressure off the Fed. So what about all of these layoffs that we've been reporting on, Matt? I mean, you know, we've seen layoffs. I mean, you mentioned that tech was down slightly, but we've seen layoffs layoffs across the board in this country, tech, media, so many different sectors. Why haven't those shown up yet? Will they show up uh, in later months' jobs report? Well, I I think that's a trillion dollar question. I mean, we're not imagining these layoffs, right? We're hearing companies, uh, PayPal, IBM, SAP, uh, Hasbro, just in the last 10 days announcing thousands of job cuts. Challenger Gray and Christmas says that uh, January, the number of announced job cuts quintupled from the year before. And yet jobless claims, which is a proxy for layoffs, continue to move lower. Uh, Non-farm payrolls continue to move higher. So it is a bit of a mystery. I think that one thing that we have to keep in mind is the fact that we are still in the middle of a worker shortage. So both things can be true. We can have some tech companies and some media companies and others cut jobs. And yet the economy as a whole still needs more workers. A lot of CEOs, a lot of bosses, they don't want to let go of the workers they have because they're worried they won't be able to get new ones. And so that's why we are seeing some churn in the jobs market. Um, And yet it does feel like, by all accounts, the jobs market remains strong, you know, surprisingly strong. Can I just say, you've made my day on this Friday morning by using the word quintupled in a a live shot. That's all it took, Zane? (laughs) Quintupled, I love it. Keep it up, Matt. Thank you Will so do. much. <laughs> I don't even know why that made me laugh so much. Matt, thank you. <laughs> right. India's Adani Group is planning to appoint a major global accounting firm to conduct an audit of its business. That, according to French energy giant Total Energies, which is one of Adani's biggest international partners, shares of Gautam Adani's businesses have been plunging since U.S. short seller Hindenburg Research's fraud Allegations. So far, the sell-off has wiped off about $100 billion 
off of uh, the value of Mr. Adani's empire. His personal net worth has now fallen to about 60 billion, from about 100 billion dollars just last week. Meantime, take a look at this chart. Today, shares of his flagship firm, Adani Enterprises, fell as much as 35% before closing down 2%. This after credit rating, credit ratings agency Fitch said that the Hindenburg report would have no immediate impact on the ratings of Adani entities. Vedika Sud joins us live now from uh, New Delhi. So Vedika, just in terms of having one of these big four accounting forms audit the company. Um, just explain to us whether or not that is going to be enough at this point to reassure people, to reassure investors. Zane, if you go by what the markets are telling us, clearly not, at least for now, that's my reading of it, at least, because given the slump that the markets have faced, the slump that Adani Group shares have faced over the last one week, it's been a massive fall, as you yourself have pointed out right now. I mean, you talk about his net worth, it's gone down from $120 billion within nine days to $61 billion. You've just spoken about how, uh, you know, a huge amount, a staggering amount has been wiped off the conglomerate in terms of its values and clearly now you do have a lot of people watching Adani very closely a lot of institutes and institutions watching Adani very closely you have opposition lawmakers in India in Parliament for three consecutive days disrupting proceedings demanding an explanation from the Modi government from the Indian government they want an independent probe into this controversy and it's not only going to stop at this there's going to be a lot of scrutiny along the way for the Adani group by far they themselves have said this is an unprecedented situation. You had the share sell-off, a 2.5 billion dollar share sell-off that was abandoned last minute because of the reds in the market. So clearly this is not going to abate anytime soon for the Adani group. However, for the first time during an interview with affiliate CNN News 18, the finance minister did not directly uh, talk of Adani or the controversy, but here's what she had to say. Here's the message that she had to give to the viewers, to the people in India and abroad on this India remains as before an absolutely well-governed, stable government and also very well, uh, you know, regulated financial market. And as a result, I think the uh, investor confidence which existed before shall continue even now. Our regulators are normally very, very stringent about certain governance practices. What cannot be denied is that there's been panic in the markets. What cannot be denied is that investors right now are very nervous. Will the finance minister's statement help calm their nerves? We'll have to wait till Monday's end. That's when the markets will reopen. That's when, once again, the fate, the future, not only of the Adani group, but the Indian economy will once again be under scrutiny. Zip. All right, Vedika, thank you so much. Appreciate it. An Italian mafia boss who was on the run for more than 16 years has been captured in France after hiding in plain sight as a pizza chef. Italian anti-mafia police caught 63-year-old Edgargo Greco in Saint-Étienne on Thursday. He was part of one of the most powerful Italian criminal networks in the world. Greco was wanted for murdering two brothers from a rival gang back in the 1990s. I want to turn now to developments uh, in terms of the war in Ukraine. The number of Russian ships capable of launching missiles on Ukrainian territory from the Black Sea has increased, according to a statement from the Ukrainian military. It goes on to say that preparations for missile strikes are evident 
It comes as authorities in the southern port city of Kherson report shelling residential areas. At least two people were killed. Russian forces were driven out of the city only three months ago. Further north, there's no let-up in Russia's missile barrage against residential areas in the city of Kramatorsk. At least four people were killed, 18 wounded in the latest attack. CNN's Fred Pleitgen and his team were heading to the scene when one of uh, the strikes actually, one of the, the second missile actually hit. Take a listen. Mm -hmm. Two missile strikes <laughs> on the city Kramatorsk in eastern Ukraine. Let's go. Right at the location we were about to film. There were just two massive missile strikes right in our vicinity. You can see it's just a couple of yards away from where we are. We're not exactly sure what kind of missiles it was, but this is a residential area. We're right in the middle of town. Photojournalist Matthias Som films the damage caused by the impact. Ukrainian authorities later said they believe the missiles were S-300s, normally used to shoot down planes, devastating when launched at urban centers. As medics tended to the wounded, producer Tim Lister checks in with our headquarters. Extremely large detonations, really, really close. We're going to stay in shelter. As we take cover, residents are clearly traumatized by the violence. It is terrifying, Natalia tells me, but what can we do? The strikes came as search and rescue efforts were ongoing in exactly the same neighborhood after a Russian missile leveled an apartment block on Wednesday night, killing at least three and wounding eight. The Russians seem to be bringing the cities of this region into their war regardless of the consequences. And Russian President Vladimir Putin is saying there is worse to come. Putin spoke Thursday at events commemorating the Battle of Stalingrad, where Soviet forces defeated Nazi Germany 80 years ago, openly threatening the U.S. and other countries supporting Ukraine. Clearly, they don't understand that modern war with Russia will be quite different for them, he said. We won't send our tanks to their borders, but we have the means to respond, and it won't be with the use of armored vehicles. Cities like Kramatorsk already know that the Kremlin is ready to escalate its war on Ukraine. Largely quiet just weeks ago, they are now in the eye of the storm as Russian forces seek to grind their way through Donetsk. No, we're going, mate. No, we're going. That's it. When the coast seemed clear, we left Kramatorsk. We're going to get out of here as fast as possible just in case there's more missile strikes coming, but it certainly seems to us as though the Russians are making Kramatorsk a front line in this war. A grim prospect for the thousands of civilians here and in other towns in eastern Ukraine. For Plekin, CNN, Kramatorsk, Ukraine. All right, still to come here on First Move. Economists were expecting U.S. job creation to slow last month. Boy, were they wrong. The latest on today's super, super strong jobs number. What it means for the Fed's fight against inflation just ahead. Plus, the 18 of the tech world suddenly on Wall Street's B-list. What happened to Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet's fourth quarter results? We'll discuss coming up. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks remain on track for a lower open, with tech stocks set to fall after three days of stellar gains. Nasdaq futures down uh, over 2% after disappointing results from some of the biggest mega cap uh, tech names. Apple reporting a 5% sales drop. Amazon posting weak guidance. Google parent company Alphabet also out with an earnings miss as well. 
All this, however, taking a back seat to what can only be called a blockbuster jobs report, uh, a greater than expected 517,000 jobs added to the US economy in January. That was more than double what all of us were expecting. December jobs gains were revised higher too. The good news for workers continues, the unemployment rate falling to a more than 50-year low. Wages rose last month too. The report comes hot on the heels of the Fed's quarter percentage point hike uh, that took place on Wednesday. The US central bank dialing back the severity of rate increases, but it says it's not done hiking just yet as the fight against inflation continues. Today's number could keep pressure on the Fed to do much more. Uh, Nella Richardson joins us live now. She is the chief economist at ADP and the co-head of the ADP Research Institute. Nella, thank you so much for being with us. So how did we get it so wrong? I was researching uh, the jobs report last night, preparing for the show, and I was anticipating just under 200,000 like everybody else. Uh, how did we get it so wrong? This is a stunning number. I mean, there was nothing in the last three months of U.S. job gains that would have prepared you or me for a number that was above a half a million jobs created in a single month. So we got it wrong because the number is so high and so unexpected. And a couple of things are worth noting here. Not only is that number high, um, we saw a dip in the unemployment rate to 3.4%. That's the lowest it's been in the United States since 1969. And all of this high, intense job creation came without a pickup in wages. Wages actually decreased year over year to 4.4%. How do you square all that? It's really hard. It's a stunning number to comprehend, actually. I, I don't get it. I mean, especially because the number we've been talking about this week is the number eight. And that is because the Fed has raised interest rates eight times over the course of the past year. Um, and I know obviously there's a lag, right? The, between actually raising interest rates and it having an effect on the economy, we all know that there is a lag and the lag could be several months. But would you have anticipated that after almost a year or so of raising interest rates, that these would be the kinds of jobs reports that we would still be getting? No, and there is a lag. That is absolutely true. But even if that lag is playing out now, we saw, uh, you know, last year, the most recent history, the average monthly gain was 400,000 for the year. Um, the last three months of that year, job gains were strong, but below 300,000. So to see a, a year's worth of interest rate hikes and many of them quite aggressive, three quarters of a percentage point, translate into a number this strong, spells um, a, a question for the Fed. Um, there is some good news for interest rate policy and those who are waiting for a Fed pivot in the fact that wage gains were pretty moderate in this report, despite how stunning the jobs numbers were. So the Fed really has its work cut out for it to really understand what's going on in this labor market, which is obviously still very tight, still very hot. It's interesting because, you know, I was speaking to several economists earlier this week and they were saying, you know what, the days of 75 basis points increase in terms of Fed rate hikes, those days are long gone. Those days are completely behind us, you know, um, and now we're going to see more of these sort of minor increases like what we saw on Wednesday. However, um, the Fed sort of reads this jobs report that just came out and they think what? How does it change their calculation as to what to do going forward? I don't think it changes how high they raise rates. Um, and I do think that they'll 
continue a moderate quarter point increase because things are changing so rapidly. But it means that they can't keep their eye off the ball of inflation. That the, those who expected a softer, softer economy, a weaker labor market, who maybe have been captured by the headlines coming out of tech in terms of layoffs, that this narrative that the Fed was almost ready to stop raising and pivot. That story has been destroyed by this report. I think what you're going to see is a Fed that's still raising rates, whether it's a quarter percentage point or even higher, and that they're going to hold those rates at higher levels for longer. I don't think we're going to see a cut in rates in 2023, especially not after this jobs report. And, you know, listen, Jerome Powell, on the other hand, has been dreaming of the so-called soft landing. And this is, I guess this is proof. Would you say it's proof that he is managing somehow to do that? If every element of this report bears fruit in in terms of trends for the rest of the year, this is not just a soft landing. This is a landing on an air mattress. It's a really (laughs) pushy landing. Because you've gotten people back to work. We saw the labor force participation rate go up. You've gotten the unemployment rate down. And you've done it without stoking inflation through higher wages. So you've avoided a wage price spiral, which everyone has been concerned about. This is the best landing possible uh, for the economy. Um, we'll just have to see what next month brings, because it, it's hard to, to, to think that this, this trend will continue. Um, but it does speak well for at least the first quarter in terms of what we're seeing in the labor market. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what next month brings. I was speaking to our correspondent, Matt Egan, <laughs> just before you, and he was, we were talking about all of the layoffs we've seen. I mean, you know, a lot of right. these companies, like tens of thousands of people in some cases, depending on how big the company is, obviously, being laid off uh, since, I guess, between November and now. Um, and the layoffs right. have been quite severe. So, of course, at some point, that's going to have to show up in these jobs reports. But uh, Nella Richardson, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Nella Richardson, Chief Thanks Economist. Thanks for having Oh, you're very welcome. We love having you on, by the way. Uh, Thank you so much. All right. Still to come on First Move, a rare miss from Apple and stumble from Google have investors on edge about slowing growth in big tech. We'll have the latest earnings report after the break. All right, welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running on the last trading day of the week. A lower open for all the major averages after the release of today's super strong U.S. jobs report. Today's report is great news for workers, but it could force the Fed to do more in its fight against inflation. And that would create a lot of uncertainty, of course, for global markets. Uh, Stocks in the news today. Let's talk about the stocks in the news. Uh, Ford Motor Company shares falling after the form reported weaker than expected results. Uh, CEO Jim Farley vowing to do better with more cost cutting. Starbucks shares, you see on your screen there, falling as well after reporting weak earnings uh, because in part of a slump in sales in China. Better news from Nordstrom there at the bottom of your screen. Shares of the U.S. retailer rallying more than 25% on the news that activist investor Ryan Cohen has actually bought a stake in the firm. Uh, Nordstrom suffering from slowing sales. Cohen could push for changes. An apple a day may keep the doctor away, but Apple's quarterly earnings aren't making investors particularly happy this morning. The iPhone maker posted a rare decline in earnings in the last three months of 2022 after a shutdown of a key Chinese factory hurt supplies. Claire Duffy uh, joins us live now. So, 
Apple gave a lot of excuses here just in terms of a strong dollar, but also the fact that the company is not immune to the overall macroeconomic environment. Just walk us through that. Yeah, Zane, I think it's a really big shift for Apple, for CEO Tim Cook to admit that the company is not immune to some of these economic challenges. Apple and a lot of the big tech companies were long sort of thought of as the exception to the rule when the economy was turbulent. But here you see in this report, Apple sales down 5% year over year, which was even worse than Wall Street expected. And the first revenue declined since 2019. And certainly some of these factors came into play. The factory shut down and this economic uncertainty that's probably causing consumers to think differently about how they're spending their money, whether they want to upgrade to the latest iPhone or invest in Apple TV Plus. And The company also said that in the March quarter, the first three months of this year, it's expecting similar year-over-year revenue performance, which means we might see yet another revenue decline from Apple. All right, Claire Duffy, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, let's talk about Amazon. Amazon finished out 2022 strong, but it doesn't expect to start 2023 on the same foot. Recession fears and rising prices have caused consumers and businesses to cut back on spending. Let's discuss all of this with... Paul LaMonica. So Amazon surprisingly lost about $2.7 billion uh, last year. Such a stark change from the boon days for them during the pandemic. Part of the issue is their investment in an electric car company. Just walk us through that, Paul. Yeah, obviously, uh, Amazon having some issues with that investment in uh, Rivian, uh, Zane. But I think the bigger issue for Amazon right now, we're seeing this with other big tech companies that have a major cloud presence. Amazon Web Services, their massive cloud infrastructure hosting division that generates a big bulk of the company's profits since the retail business has very thin margins, Growth is slowing there. It was only about 20% year over year. That's a pretty dramatic slowdown. And I think we're seeing that it's consistent with what other tech companies have reported as well. Microsoft's cloud business is slowing. Alphabet, which reported last night also. We saw Google Cloud revenue starting to decelerate as well, the growth at least. So I think that is a big concern right now, Zane, that corporations that had been spending a lot of money on cloud infrastructure, uh, they're not doing it as much as they were during the pandemic. And that's going to be a problem for these big tech giants. And speaking of, I mean, you touched on Alphabet. Speaking of Alphabet, I mean, there are a number of factors affecting Alphabet here. Um, YouTube, YouTube, which, of course, Alphabet owns, not doing too well there, uh, falling short in terms of uh, their revenue. But also there's also a one time charge because of all the layoffs that Alphabet um, has issued. Just walk us through all the different factors affecting um, Alphabet right now. Yeah, definitely. Alphabet, which you know I think most people probably still refer to as Google, they clearly have some issues because of the layoffs. That's not something that uh, they are uh, the only company in tech, of course, that's going to be having these big restructuring charges because of massive job cuts. But I think a bigger concern, as you pointed out, Zane, is YouTube. A lot of people had hopes that YouTube growth would be pretty strong. But I think what we've seen now with Meta having very strong earnings just a few days ago, it's possible that Meta, the owner of Facebook, is really eating into YouTube shorts with things like Instagram and Reels. And that's probably a problem for not just Alphabet and YouTube, but we saw Snapchat's results were pretty disastrous. So this might be an uh, example of TikTok and Meta are the big winners in social media right now 
whether or not TikTok remains on top, given all of the regulatory concerns oh, remains right. to be seen, of course. But Meta had a great quarter and, you know, Alphabet did not. Paula Monica, my first. Thank you. All right, coming up after the break here on First Move, EU leaders are meeting in Kyiv as President Zelensky pushes for EU integration this year. We'll have details on that after the break. Air raid alerts rang out in the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv, where European Union leaders are gathering for a summit. EC President Ursula von der Leyen says that Russia must be held accountable in court for what she calls odious crimes uh, in Ukraine. Meantime, President Volodymyr Zelensky is pushing for EU integration talks this year. Earlier in the show, we mentioned that Ukraine's uh, warning about Russia beefing up its presence in the Black Sea comes as the U.S. is poised to offer Kyiv a new $2.2 billion aid package, which includes longer-range missiles. Scott McLean joins us live now. So just in terms of what's top of Zelensky's mind here, it's going to be membership in terms of uh, the EU. That is what Zelensky wants. Um, and he's also going to talk about the progress that Ukraine has made towards that goal, especially when it comes to rooting out corruption, Scott. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, in the weeks leading up to this EU-Ukraine summit, the very first one since the full-scale invasion began, the very first one since Ukraine was officially declared a candidate state for EU status, there have been a series of anti-corruption raids announced, anti-corruption investigations and charges uh, laid against people for embezzlement, fraud, the list goes on and on. Even just today, Zane, police uh, announced that there were charges against the heads of two companies accused of defrauding the Ministry of Defense out of more than $3 million. And so, yeah, Ukraine has a lot to prove to show that it's trying to clean up its reputation as one of the most corrupt countries in Europe. And that is one of the conditions that the EU has set out for uh, for it, if there's really any realistic possibility of Ukraine actually joining the bloc at some point. And you have to remember the countries like North Macedonia, Serbia, Turkey, they've been waiting as EU candidate states for a decade, more than a decade in some cases, and they're still not quite there yet. So this is not generally a quick process, but Ukraine is pushing for it to be fast-tracked. We've just gotten some new comments from President Zelensky. You see him there uh, speaking. He said that Ukraine is completing the recommendations of the European Commission, which have been outlined for our country, and we expect the Commission's assessment this spring on our process, uh, on our progress, excuse me. So they're obviously hoping for the best, but really nothing happens overnight uh, when it comes to getting into the EU, Zane. All right, Scott McLean, live for us. Thank you. Recent outbreaks of deadly violence in Israel and the West Bank are shaking a region that's already on edge. CNN's Nick Robertson talked to one father whose family got caught in the middle of an Israeli military aid in Jenin. Yeah. So the soldiers came onto the roof of your house here. From the roof of his Janine apartment, Mohammed Abu Al-Hajjah shows me where Israeli troops fought a three-hour battle with Palestinian gunmen just a few feet away. So, so the whole house here was surrounded by Israeli troops. It was Thursday last week. The raid killed ten people, seven of them Palestinian gunmen. One of the deadliest such West Bank operations in years. 
Mohammed thought he and his family might die too because Israeli troops took over his apartment to fight the gunman. He shows where he says two soldiers shot from his window. You can see all the bullet holes along the, uh, along the wall there. Of spent bullet casings, he says, testimony to the ferocity of the firefight. He says the soldiers tied his hands behind his back, ordered him and his wife to get on the floor, cover their two daughters' ears. This is one of the bullets that came into your room right here. The gunman began firing back at the Israeli soldiers, hitting the wall and the door, while he, his wife and his two-year-old and one-year-old daughters lay terrified on the floor. He thinks at least one soldier was hit. So they cut, they cut this out here? Yes. Here. And there they're looking right over the house. This is the house, the target. In his bedroom, he shows where he says the soldiers cut the bars off his window. And they, they fired the rocket from here, and that's the blast back here. The whole place shook, he says. There were three rockets. It was so loud, we were terrified. The Israeli military say it was an urgent mission that when they arrived here, their troops came under heavy fire, that they returned fire. They say the suspects barricaded themselves in the house here, so they fired a shoulder-launch anti-tank missile at them. The buildings, so damaged, local officials had it bulldozed. Using apartments like Mohammed's to give covering fire is standard operating procedure, an Israeli military spokesman told CNN, so that the action can be more precise. UN officials say the incident breaches international law. In the ground floor apartment beneath Mohammed's, Ziad says he saw the firefight, saw an Israeli soldier hide behind his car, shoot one of the gunmen. This is the worst I've seen it, much worse than the 2002 raids, he says. There are lots more gunmen on the streets now. It's a younger generation. They were born into it. Upstairs, Mohammed is close to tears when I ask him how safe he feels. We're not safe, not safe for a moment after what happened, he says. If they had killed me, no one would hold them accountable. You have to be very cautious. Despite the battle scars, it might look as if some kind of normality is returning. But in people's hearts here, there is fear. The worst is yet to come. Nick Robertson, CNN, Janine Camp, The West Bank. All right, coming up after the break time to switch gears uh, a little bit here. We're talking about meditation, but not as we know it. We've got several mindfulness tips to make your life just a little bit better. better. Mind Valley is next. All right, in terms of goals, my next guest has set his sights pretty high, transforming the lives of a billion people is the aim of Vishen Lakiani, the founder of Mind Valley. Build as an online personal growth platform with 20 million students worldwide, Mind Valley offers 30 courses to lift the mind, the body, and the spirit. The company says its clients include Facebook, Google, and the airline Emirates. Vishen Lakiani joins us live now. Vishen, thank you so much for being with us. I absolutely 
love, love, love this app, uh, Mind Valley. I mean, it represents the intersection of technology and also spirituality, two things that people think are somewhat incongruous, but of course they're not. And this app really did change my life. You've got so many online courses and workshops to choose from that really sort of focus on your inner growth and also just helping people live up to the highest version of themselves. Um, just walk us through, if you're a business leader or if you're an entrepreneur or if you haven't found your calling or your passion, walk us through what Mind Valley offers. Well, firstly, thank you for saying what you said. That, that warms my heart that the app <laughs> changed your life. That's the key word we try to do at Mind Valley. We want to change a billion lives. So if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, one of the most important things we need to keep in mind is that the era of business is changing. We know that soft skills are important. We know that our ability to connect as leaders to people, to, to, to lead teams, to nurture ourselves, to take care of our health and wellness, to have mindfulness practices, all of these lead to happier employees, better company culture, more productivity, more connectedness between a team, and, but a lot of these skills are not found in many traditional forms of education. And what Mind Valley seeks to do is to get the best teachers out there in the world to teach this in mass to the best quality training in the world to as many people as we can. Yeah. So explain to us the sort of structure of Mind Valley because you've got these sort of small bite-sized right. videos, right? You're supposed to watch one video a day if you pick a particular workshop that's focused on personal growth. Um, and it, I mean, it, it, it ranges. I mean, it's absolutely everything. It's everything, either from spirituality, either it's meditation. It could be any form of personal development, career growth goals. Just explain to us specifically what the course, uh, the various courses offer. Absolutely. Well, firstly, it starts with your goal. We look at around 290 different human development outcomes, which could be anything from speed reading to greater confidence to greater to, to greater productivity, to learning to use AI to speed up productivity, things like chat GPT. And then we find a really great teacher and we put them together with someone called a learning theory designer. So learning isn't just passive consumption of facts. Learning is installing in people new beliefs, new behaviors, new attitudes, new habits. It's a slow, gradual accumulation of wisdom that you are then putting into practice. Now we deliver this not just through content and teacher, but through our app itself, which does micro lessons every single day that get you hooked, that get you engaged. And every single day we build up a new behavior and a new attitude and a new habit mm -hmm. until at the end of, say, three weeks or four weeks, you are literally completely different in that specific area of your life. You know, Vision, I am so sorry. I was so excited to talk to you that I forgot to mention your book. Guys, can we pull up, can we pull up his book? Uh, you're the author of The Six-Phase six Meditation Method. And actually, what's interesting is that right. you're not a fan of meditation in the traditional sense. Because we talked to a lot of people who, you know, focus on meditation, right. especially for entrepreneurs and business leaders. Just explain to us, you know, what the difference is here in terms of how you view meditation. Well, a lot of people think meditation is long periods of silence, focusing on your breath. That is mindfulness, right? There's a different aspect of meditation called active meditation, where you are not trying to still your mind. You're not trying to, to, to focus on your breath. You're focused on the problems that you want to resolve and the results you want to create. It is an active application of the mind towards changing your future, 
but also creating emotional balance. So the sixth phase looks at three methods to create this incredible, juicy emotional balance within you, and then three methods to get your mind focused on the future. It's meditation for entrepreneurs, for athletes, for for people who are going out there and really wanting to compete in the game and, and, and build something and create something. But the side effect is really beautiful peace of mind. You become a better, nicer, more blissful, kinder, happier person. The side effects is absolutely that it does make you a better person. Um, and, and what is, I, I guess, kind of surprising here is really how successful this app is. $100 million in revenue. I only say surprising because it's so niche. You know, when you think about spirituality and personal right. growth, it is still somewhat niche. It's becoming more popular, but still niche. Uh, $100 million in revenue. Did that kind of success surprise you at first? Well, we are a product-led company, right? So we want a product to be so good that people who come on want to bring their friends. I mean, you just said it changed your life and you're bringing me on CNN. This happens all the time. And so what starts happening is that customers start learning about this from other customers. And we hit well over $100 in revenue before taking a drop of venture capital. The company is fully self-funded at this point. But it's all about changing lives. So on our website, I'll, I'll share an interesting statistic. We have 18,000 case studies from people who came to us and wrote a case study because Mind Valley changed some aspect of their life. My, my personal goal is to get this to about a million. Like I want to die knowing that I've changed help <laughs> in some way through the app, change a million lives. So, and that's um, why what you said means so much to me. Oh, well, what you've done means so much to me. So when you think about, you know, being an entrepreneur and being spiritual. A lot of people think that those two things are mutual exclusive. So for example, that being an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur obviously means thinking about competition, uh, to a certain extent being cutthroat and being spiritual is all about sort of letting things come to you and and sort of meditating. And a lot of people think that those, those two things do not go together, but you don't believe that. Explain why. No. Well, firstly, we confuse drive with competitiveness. The best entrepreneurs I know are driven, but they are respectful to their competitors. They, they, they see their competitors as beautiful mechanisms for them to get better. And in today's world, we're more connected than ever. Human beings are so closely connected that the best way to build companies is to build our skills and how we relate with other people. But at the same time, there's also so much emerging research that shows that when we take care of our minds, our spirit, our sleep, our health, we simply do better. And that's why entrepreneurship and wellness have to come together. The best entrepreneurs I know, their non-negotiables are their health, their spirit, and their family and team. And you're a major advocate of the three-day work week. So I'm going to have you talk to my bosses, okay? <laughs> Vision, Vision Lakiani, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much, CEO of Mind Valley. I absolutely Thank love, love, love me. that app. You're very, very welcome. Okay, finally on First Move, the world's oldest dog has clearly found the secret to a long and happy life. This is Bobby, and he lives in a village in Portugal. The purebred livestock guardian dog is more than 30 years old, beating the average lifespan of 12 to 14 years for the breed. He's definitely a good old boy. All right, that is it for the show. I'm Zane Asher. Thank you so much. I'll be back in a couple of hours joining you for my show, One World. Connect the World is up next.
We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.